Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Happy resurrection season to all of you this Monday, April the 25th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Psalm 22. It is, it is a joy to come back to this psalm because just recently, uh, uh, about 10 days ago, was when Pastor Tom Eckstein brought up this as we looked at the passion of our Lord Jesus. And it's always good for me to, to I don't want to say go too quickly to Jesus, but how could you not? Because there it is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see the fulfillment of Christ. Luther speaks about this prophecy and the suffering of our Lord Jesus. But also, this was written um, by David himself. So what does that mean for him? What does that mean for us? And make sure that we open up our Bibles, put on our Christ goggles, and we make sure that we are praying for the gifts are ready, ready for you. A big thank you to all of our listeners, as last Thursday and Friday was share a a time where we were able to look at the blessings that the Lord has given to KFUO, sharing Christ throughout the world, um, proclaiming Christ anytime, anywhere, and how it has impacted people around the globe. And I'm continually amazed at the ways that God um, uh, provides for us, and it did provide through you during share So if you want to continue to support the work of KFUO, um, for share 2022, you can still do it by calling 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. And with that, we also thank you thank the support of Lutheran Heritage Foundation as one of our underwriters, specifically for Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Well, we are here to be in God's Word this morning, and we welcome back Pastor Brian Stecker of Trinity Lutheran Church and School, Waconia, Minnesota. Pastor Stecker, happy Easter, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Yeah, happy Easter. Thanks for having me. It's always a good time whenever I can talk with you, Brady. So, Pastor, as we look at our text today, um, it is just a reminder that we just got done with Holy Week. So how was your Holy Week, Easter, your family, all of this? This is your first time um, going through Holy Week at Trinity. So how did it all go? Yeah, so first first Holy Week at Trinity, first Holy Week in Minnesota. So it was my first Holy Week uh, with filled with snow. So looking out, I couldn't tell if we were celebrating Christmas or Easter, but um but the services uh, definitely told me we were celebrating uh, Holy Week. The services were really great. Um, we had the, the Tenebrae on Friday. Of course, we had our Monday, Thursday. And then Easter, I was really blown away just at some of the um, the gifts that God's given to some of the, um, the kids and people in the area. They had a, a choral group. They had an orchestra play. And the music was just, I mean, it was a foretaste of the feast to come. So I, I really enjoyed it. And we're very, our family's very blessed to be here. And so, Pastor, as we uh, look at today, I think what we're going to do is we'll start by just praying the whole psalm. And I really am looking forward to studying this with you and praying it because uh, I know for my church, uh, we usually will recite this or pray this while they're stripping the altar on Holy Thursday. And that's mm-hmm. the specific time that I really remember this as a child um, throughout seminary used most often. So is there any memories you have of Psalm 22 being used and the six in your mind? Yes, absolutely. So um, we would always, we, we always had it read growing up. And then a couple of years ago, I was at a church visiting for Monday, Thursday, and uh, they had this, uh, this cantor that chanted and it was just beautiful. So long story short, um, 
when I was a pastor out in New Hampshire, um, I was back visiting the seminary and we were there and I think they were doing Psalm 34 maybe, but there was a beautiful chant tone that was done. So I, I reached back out to um, Professor Paul Grime and said, hey, you know, I was here this uh, during this chapel service. What was that chant tone? And he actually worked with me and, and uh, fit it to Psalm 22. So we we actually used that on our Thursday evening. It was just this beautiful kind of melancholy chant tone. And just as you described, we did it as we did the stripping of the altar. And um, I thought it was beautiful. And, and so many people, you know, were just really moved by it. We had, uh, we, you know, Jeremy here, he, he's got a wonderful voice and he went ahead and chanted that. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's a real powerful thing to have there at the end of the service. So let's get, let's get praying. As I say often, uh, Psalm 22, we are reading from the English Standard Version and praying from that version. Um, it's a little bit longer, but it's a great uh, psalm for us to reflect on and for us to just settle in and pray this morning. So let us begin Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord to let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, and, and like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, and you lay in the, in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell you of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who shall seek him shall praise the Lord. May our, your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he will rule over the nations. 
All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It should be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hmm. Pastor, as we begin Psalm 22, there's always a context. So give us some introductory thoughts you have as we, well, as we dig in and receive the gifts from this great psalm. Yeah, I appreciate that you read it all the way through. And Psalm 22, I think, is, is the psalm that really um, kind of opened my heart and really made me appreciate the psalms. And the reason was, as I think it, it teaches us how the psalms can be used these are David's words, right? David writes this. He's um, writing it probably at a time when he's go when he's distraught. He's going through a real difficult time. Um, his enemies are obviously having an effect on him. So these are these are David's words. But you see at the beginning it says for the director of music. So this is also supposed to be used within the congregation of Israel um, when when the Israelites gather together either corporately or either in the in the family. They're now supposed to use these words. So it's David's words but it's also the words of the Israelites when they go through trouble. And then, of course, we see that Jesus now uses these words from the cross. So they actually become Jesus' words. And, of course, once they become Jesus' words, that's, you know, not, that's the revealing of the real purpose of Psalm 22. Um, and then it goes one step further. Now, now we use those words in our own prayer life. So it just kind of shows that, you know, Jesus' words are the words of the church and they're the words of David. And there are words when we go through these things. And Psalm 22 is maybe one of the most powerful because, um, you know, I, I tend to think that Jesus probably prayed the entire Psalm 22 from the cross. Um, so we, we just, we see this, this connection of how God's word works in his creation. And it's, it's very plain and bold before us. And, and, and tell us a little more, why would we think uh, maybe a little bit of a wet the palate a little bit. Why would we think that Jesus actually did the whole psalm? Which I, I've been Pastor Eckstein spoke about this um, in his study, and also there's been a lot of writing on this as well. So you give like a quick um, overview of why would we think such a thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably two things that stand. I know one we we certainly don't know. Um, you know, there, there's nothing that we could look at and say you know with 100 certainty Jesus uh, prayed this from the cross. Um, but this is kind of a common thing within the Gospels and even with Paul is that just because of the, the amount of room they have on a scroll when they're writing, um, they couldn't possibly write out like an entire chapter or something like that whenever they're referencing something. So often we'll see, you know, Matthew or the Gospel writers, will, they'll use maybe one verse from an Old Testament um, scripture when they're referencing that maybe Jesus was talking about this. And when we go and look back, we don't necessarily say, okay, Jesus was only referring to that first, but he was probably teaching, therefore, like on that chapter and tying it into what he was teaching, um, you know, um, in that modern time. So it would make sense that that Matthew would just record, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and be referring to Psalm 22. Now, um, along with that, though, as you go through with Psalm 22, there's um, there's actually a graph I have in front of me. And if you go to like verse 1, 7, 8, 16, and 18, um, for example, you can find these verses, you can find correlative verses in Matthew chapter 27. So for instance, in verse seven, Psalm 22 says, all who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. 
And then Matthew chapter 27, verse 39, it says those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. You know, you can see Matthew keeps using the same vocabulary of Psalm 22 um, to show even what those who are crucifying Jesus are calling out to him. Um, so, you know, doesn't prove that that's the case, but it certainly seems like Psalm 22 is being weaved throughout Matthew 27 as Matthew records the crucifixion. Well, and that's, and it, it's really exciting, I think, for me, I would say fruitful, maybe is the right word, enriching to think about Jesus being up there and that, like, his last sermon um, was Psalm 22, which, I mean, how could, it's kind of like, what's to say he did for the sake of argument, uh, what we're talking about, which I think there's a good argument that we can make for it, that he speaks these words and there had to have been people in the crowd, maybe the centurion, who's like, wait, all that is happening right in front of us. Wow, this truly is the king of kings. Hmm. You know, this is the king of Israel. And so it it, it it connects some dots that we do. Like you said, you can't say, oh, yeah, it's definitely true. But it definitely shows us the, the God's word was at work, even in verse one that people would have said, wait, I've heard that before. And then it points to that reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross. So we'll obviously dig into that a little bit more as we go. So any other background before we start digging in a few verses at a time? Uh, no, no, I think I, I really like that. The way you phrase that there is it's his last sermon, you know, and his last yeah. sermon is just, it's Psalm 22. It's, you know, it's, it's the words that he gave to Israel, you know, years before. I love it. I love it. All connects. And for you, our listeners, I just I continue to encourage you um, to have fun with the text. I mean, just this is going to be a lot of fun because all these connections throughout the Bible, like, oh, man, all these excuses I've heard when I was in college and other people, people who've never read the Bible are like, oh, it doesn't connect. Well, I tell you what, in faith, we look at these words and we see the connections and the great joy that we have of Christ dying for you. And we're just going to receive it full bore today. So verses one and two, we hear the psalmist, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Right away, I get a, I guess you say a feeling. You can almost feel what David is writing. You can almost feel the uh, nails in your own hands when you hear these words. And what are those first two words? They set the tone for the rest. And what does it tell us? Yeah, it's, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like you said, it, it sets the tone. And, you know, even Matthew even records this in the Aramaic, right? So I think even, usually in the English, it's then translated, Eloi, 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 lama sabachthani, it's left there. Um, and I think the reason for that is, Matthew's just showing this was, I mean, this was just a genuine cry. You know, this wasn't something that he was, you know, I like the the idea of him giving a sermon, but it certainly wasn't like you or I giving a sermon on Sunday where we're kind of like pre-planned and, you know, we've got kind of our points we want to make. Jesus is crying out Psalm 22. These are straight from his heart um, because he's in utter distress. And you know, right along with that, I think sometimes when we hear these words, we hear the words like, why have you forsaken me? And I think sometimes we almost think, well, is Jesus, you know, is Jesus doubting the father or is he not trusting the father? Um, but I, I don't think that's the case. I think what we're seeing here is Jesus is is crying out because he who was not sin became sin, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And 
because he has taken upon our sin, he's now receiving the just penalty. He's being, um, he's receiving what sin deserves. And that is the father is coming down and the father is the one who's bringing this punishment about, you know, it's certainly, it's the the leader, it's the Pharisees, it's the leaders of uh, the Roman party that have brought him to the cross, but it's ultimately the father here who's going to punish the sins of the world. And Jesus is bearing that. So he's calling out rightly because he is being forsaken because he has to be forsaken. As it says, why are you so far from saving me? I mean, that's, that's that moment where we think about Jesus and it's dark. And like you said, the sins of the world upon his shoulders. I've heard it once said that the greatest sinner of all time was Jesus at that moment. Um, cause all the sins are on his shoulders. And, um, I'm groaning. I mean, these, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are not words you say with joy. You can almost feel the the lack of breath coming from his lungs. You can almost feel the pain that he is feeling. Um, and that's something that it reminds us, you know, that our sin put him on the cross and his love is what kept him there. Mm-hmm. And, and we get that feeling that this was, Jesus was God and man. And he feels the same kind of pains that we do probably um, I think I was reading Johann Gerhardt's prayers, Meditations of Divine Mercy, and he just speaks about the pain you went through. Nobody will go through that same kind of pain hmm. um, that, that he went through. And I think that's very true for, I, I hope that's true, but I think for vast majority of humanity never has to go through that amount of pain. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? Yeah, there was um, there was one illustration that was that really helped me with this in that, you know, if we can think of the worst pain we could go through. I think if we took enough time to think about it, we probably would move away from physical pain. And at some point we would move to like emotional or spiritual pain, right? So you have children, I have children. I would certainly rather go through a lot of physical pain rather than losing my relationship with my you know child whom I love, right? So losing a close relationship, we would definitely say that's more painful than something you would go through physically, you know? And then the next step is, well, the closer the relationship, the more painful it is when that relationship is severed. You know, if a friend, you know, forsakes me, that'll hurt. But if my wife forsakes me, that's going to hurt much more. And here we have the picture of the father and the son who have had a perfect relationship without sin for all of eternity. And there on the cross, that relationship is being severed, right? The father is Mm -hmm. turning on the son and punishing the son for the sins of the world. And Jesus is being forsaken by his father. So that is, you know, that is the closest of relationships that it could possibly be. And therefore the pain of having that severed, it's, it's more than we could even imagine, um, which is where, you know, that's why that cry is, is it's so, uh, it's such a deep cry. Why have you forsaken me? The pain that he's going through there. And there is an interesting back and forth throughout Psalm 22 that I just want to highlight very quickly. Verses one and two, Dr. Seleska in his commentary speaks about how it is a, the I to the you. So it speaks, the, the psalmist speaks about I in going through this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it, it goes back to God. You, O Lord, have, you know, you are this or you have done this or you are going to do this. That happens all throughout. So we've gone through the I. Now verses three through five. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. And in you, they trusted and were not put to shame. So the transition goes from himself praying, 
where are you, God? And then he proclaims who God is. Your thoughts in verses three through five. Hmm. Yeah, this brings me back to the Garden of Gethsemane, where, you know, that's actually maybe the place where we see Jesus' emotion laid bare the most, um, you know, unless if you do what we're doing here, maybe dive into Psalm 22. You know, there he's, you know, he's definitely emotionally distraught when he's in the garden. And that's where, he's, you know, he's praying to his father and he's saying, can, can this cup pass from me? And it's interesting that when the answer comes and what basically what happens is an angel comes and delivers the message. And we know that the message is the cup can't pass from you and you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to go through to the cross. But Jesus finds comfort in that which is, which is interesting. We would say, well, that wasn't what Jesus asked for, but why did he find comfort in that answer that he is going to have to bear the, the cup? Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems that there in the garden, he finds comfort in this is God's will. And if that's, if that's my father's will, then it will be good. Even if that's not what I prayed for. And it's kind of the same thing here where, as, as you said, verses one and two, we really see the agony. And then three through five, he turns to you and he says, but you are enthroned as the Holy one. You know, you are the uh, the one Israel praises. So he's finding comfort in the holiness and the good will of God. Um, it, it, I don't know. Do you do you see some of that too, especially with, with kind of the name Holy One and the way he's re- referring to his father? Right, right. Exactly right. And there's there's that there's that, re- that always unique relationship throughout the Gospels, well, now in the Old Testament, where truly they are one. But there's a submission and proclamation of Jesus, as we know that Jesus is always interceding for us to God the Father. That relationship that is quite interesting <laughs> in that how this all fits, but he is proclaiming the truth of God, which also would have been kind of crazy if Jesus is preaching here or, um, on the cross, that there he is, you know, struggling to the point of death, and he's he's giving praises to God, mm-hmm. you know? Um uh, and he and he and he gives them a history lesson. Hey, the people of old, they cried to you, and you actually rescued them. It was way too easy for them to be able to see the bad stuff, as opposed to actually seeing the Lord rescued them. And also, I one of the things that I saw was, like you said, that to allude to, you said, you know, God's will be done, and that's really what he's saying too. And it's this constant um, prayer of deliverance and showing how God does indeed deliver his people. So it's a good reminder for the crowd and for us to remember, because we can easily just focus on the negatives Hmm. as opposed to actually seeing how God has redeemed his people and delivers them um, in the time of trial and sin and, and, you know, throughout all things. So, Hmm. yeah, I I like how you put that. Other thoughts? Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And he prayed, I will be done even when he's on the cross. And, you know, that's the prayer he gave to us. Thy will be done, even when we're going through our our micro, our little crosses that we bear in our life. Let's continue. We have a few minutes before our break. Verses 6 and 7. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And he, right here is is a wording that we I remember um, in a, a certain hymn. I, I think I, I had it, but I lost it here for a moment. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? Hmm. And it first stanza goes like this. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And that always pops in my mind when I read those words every year on Holy Thursday. What is, what is, 
the psalmist telling us about himself, and how does that relate to Jesus? I mean, I've never thought about the confession of Jesus being a worm. So your thoughts? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he's definitely, well, yeah, I mean, going back to David, you know, he's, he's definitely putting himself in his relate, right relationship with, with God. And here you would say, well, Jesus' right relationship with the Father is certainly not like that, but he's become that. Um, you know, there was a scene in, you know, every year, well, not every year, but um, usually we try to do about every three years to watch The Passion of the Christ during Holy Week. And one scene that always stands out to me is when um, Simon of Cyrene is called upon to take take the cross. And in The Passion of the Christ, I like the way they do it because when Simon of Cyrene comes out, you, he's feeling the emotion of humiliation. So he, he doesn't want to be seen carrying the cross. He doesn't want to be confused with somebody who's guilty. So he says, fine, I'll carry the cross, but I want it to be known that J- this man is condemned, you know, but I am innocent. And throughout the next couple scenes, you watch Simon go from kind of this, this arrogance looking down at Jesus to at the end, he realized Jesus is looking at Simon and saying, Simon, what you said is right. You are, I, I'm guilty and you're innocent, but that's not how it's supposed to be. I've become the worm so that you can become the son of God. And at the end, Simon, you know, leaves from that scene and he's, he's weeping, you know, and he's got the blood of Christ on him. So he leaves and he is innocent, but he's innocent because the blood of Christ is on him. And, you know, here it's, I mean, you're just... You, you're shocked. Another hymn that comes to mind is let all mortal flesh keep silence. And I think the last hymn is uh, at his, what is it? At his feet, the six winged seraph cherubim with sleepless eyes. And then it goes on and says, you know, and they praise Alleluia, Alleluia. Um, here is the one by whom the angels would bow before. Um, but now it's the one that men would hide their faces from because he who is above all has become, has gone below all below a man and to become an actual worm. And that's what it took for, for our sins to be redeemed. And like you mentioned before, verse seven, you know, connects us to the passion account. You know, all who seek me mock me and they make, make mouths at me and they wag their heads. And then in Matthew, those who pass by deri- derided him and wagging their heads. And so you have this great um, fulfillment. I mean, Jesus speaks about this. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then the prophecies that come true. And to me, that is always a real blessing for me to, to be able to see those connections in scripture. Pastor, we have about a minute before our break. Any any thoughts on, on those connections when we see them pop up and they just come right at you to see how God's word connects? Um, I would say I'm, I'm 31 and I can't wait to see when I'm 51 how many of those things pop up. Because every time you go through something, you just you make new connections. And there's there's no explanation for the amount of connections that weave through the scriptures, other than it's it's not of this earth. It's 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 from the Logos, it's from the divine word that was there before the creation of the world. I'm 42, so I'm looking forward to when I'm 62 and I'm able to have the same experience. So, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying and praying the Psalms with Pastor Brian Stecker, and we'll be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. 
Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 22 with Pastor Brian Stecker of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Waconia, Minnesota. And now now to your listeners that you know our ages, that has been revealed. <laughs> we will continue to find our hope, not in our youth or our age, but in the Word of God. So, Pastor, we've gone through the first seven verses. Anything else you want to highlight before we keep plowing through? Um, just, yeah. no, I don't think, I mean, just the emotion you know, the emotion is there. It's, you know, it's such a fitting way to end Monday, Thursday. I don't think there's any better words. As we remember those emotions, we continue to read verses 8 through 10. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. So once again, we, we, we have this kind of a confession of faith. We, we have a little bit of the, you know, going back to the, to the passion and hearing some of those similar words. Where do you want to begin these verses 8 through 10? Well, this is another one of those areas where in Matthew 27, verse 43, um, Matthew records the, I think it's the chief priest. I think it's the chief priest who say, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God, which is almost a direct quotation of, of Psalm 22, verse eight. And it just goes to show, I mean, you know, here's the chief priests. They, they know the scriptures very well. And here they're mocking Jesus for doing exactly what, what they strive to do or what they claim to strive to do as Israelites, which is trusting in the father. And Jesus, you know, if, if he cries out Psalm 22 here, he is showcasing what trusting in the Father looks like. And that's what they use against him. You can see the way that evil just kind of, it warps the mind of people, you know, as they become consumed with it. And here are the, the, the chief priests and the leaders of Israel, and they're, they're deriding Jesus for doing, for being virtuous and doing exactly what they're supposed to do. And so, yeah, and once again, this goes back to... Matthew, where that's exactly what they were doing, right? He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. He prophesied this and it came true. He trusts in the Lord, deliver him now if he desires him. For I said, I am the son of God. So there's kind of a confession, a, a mocking confession here as well, is that this is said, who he said he is and he's not able to do it. So let him deliver himself, which strikes it strikes me really clear. As you said, those pops up in those dy dynamics where Jesus is being tempted by the devil, who basically says the same kind of words, right? If you are the son of God, then do this. Um, which you do see that evilness, the, the devil at work through all this as well. Any thoughts on, on that connection? No, that's a, yeah, that's another great connection right there to the uh, the temptation in the wilderness. Is, um, yeah, which is, you know, as you say that, it, it makes, there, there's a certain, even though Jesus is showing his emotions and his distress here, there's also a certain certain confidence. To like when he faces the when he faces Herod, when he faces Pilate, you know, he, he doesn't really even say that much. Um, you know, there's that certain just confidence that the silent testimony is going to be the testimony that that lasts for etern an eternity. Um, and 
you know, in some ways it's because he's already faced Satan and he's already defeated Satan there in the wilderness. Now it's coming to completion here on the cross, but he's already shown the temptations aren't going to work against me. And here they're just, they're, they're doing the same temptations, as you said, that, that Satan did in the wilderness. And once again, Jesus, Jesus is unmoved by it. So anything else in those first 10 verses as we continue to move forward? Uh, maybe just the, the last thing is, what is it here? Verse, verse nine, I, I do love this. He says, yet, yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. You know, and he's, Jesus is crying out. I keep going back to Jesus on the cross here, of course. I think there was, uh, there was a quote that said, what was it? As the star is concealed by the light of the sun, he who sees Jesus will probably neither see nor care to see David. Uh, speaking of Psalm 22, and you know, I, I do, I keep bringing it right back to Jesus on the cross. But um, yeah, I mean, Jesus here is saying during every moment of my life till now, you have been my my God or my father and you have sustained me. And why would why would you stop doing that now, even here on the cross? And it's just such a good Another good just example of thy will be done. I trust in you, Father, even even here, because you were there when I was in my mother's womb. You know, who else could I possibly trust? And that does make me wonder at times, what was David going through when he wrote this? You know, because we do believe that, you know, David wrote this by the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed this. So he was obviously going through agony as well. And, you know, how could we how can we then, you know, say, well, you know, we are have Jesus, so we don't want to hear this. But it does make just for a moment, at least to say, hey, what was David go through? What's, once again, we don't know for sure. But he obviously was going some, through something very severe as he wrote these words and prayed them. Um, any quick thoughts on that? Like you said, we want to focus on Jesus, but there's a little bit there that keeps perking my interest as we keep going through this. Yeah, and that's 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 helpful, too, because in some ways, David's a little bit more relatable in that. I, I can't quite put myself on the cross, right? Because I've, I've never gone through what Christ has gone through. But there might be times in my life where I might go through what David goes through, you know? And it is, and it is there is a certain comfort there to say, you know, these are the words that David, you know, originally put together with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know? And it's just, you, you can relate to that and you can apply that then to the tough situations in your own life. And this goes back to what you often will hear from people and it's always, I mean, God, the Holy Spirit works through his people where you'll hear somebody like, for example, a former member of mine from Wisconsin that her husband is going through a very difficult time with cancer. And she just was lamenting. She told me about this. She's lamenting all the pain he was going through and kind of, a, you know, you wouldn't understand God. And then she, it, it, the Holy Spirit brought her back and said, well, actually, you would understand and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm thankful in the midst of this pain, because I know that you've been through a similar thing. And that mm -hmm. brings us to David, which we can relate with. And then it brings us to Jesus, because he can relate with it as well. So I encourage you, our listeners, that whatever pain that you might be going through, Psalm 22 reminds us, not only did David experience, not only do we experience, but so did our God. And he does that for us, so that we leave out any opportunity for us to say, God, you would not understand. And he says, yes, I do. And my grace is sufficient for you. Um, for when I'm weak, I'm strong is a language. So it's very powerful to be able to connect those things together. So pastor, let's keep moving forward. We have a long ways to go still. <laughs> Verses 11 through 13. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They're wide with their wide 
they open, excuse me, wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. So uh, David goes back to kind of the um, I, you know, this is what I'm going through and he's praying. So what is what is the prayer here in 11 through 13? Yeah, it, for me, it really strikes. I, I think it's just a showcase of injustice. And, you know, you can think, I mean, there's, you know, as you mentioned, we don't know exactly when David wrote this, but you could go to many points in David's life where it really seemed like David was facing injustice, whether it was his, his times with Saul um, you know, when he was going out to war against some of those, um, some of those surrounding nations, those were vicious, vicious nations. And the way they did warfare was absolutely vicious. And the way they, they treated people and women and children were just absolutely terrible. And you can imagine David going out and there's times where there were great victories and there's times where there were, were defeat and it seemed really dark. And David's, description of that, that bulls are surrounding me and roaring lions that want to tear me absolutely to pieces. That's a pretty accurate description of what he's gone through. And I think it's just an accurate description of what it feels like when there's real, just real injustice in the world. You know, I think of, well, I mean, we can certainly relate to, you know, stories that are going on in the world right now, you know, in difficult places where sometimes it just seems like, like evil's winning. And when it seems like that, you know, we can look to some of these words and say, well, those, those are the right words. Those are the words that apply to that situation. And then, of course, we bring it back to Jesus on the cross. And there's, I mean, more than anything where it looks like evil's going to win, where bulls are surrounding, roaring lions. But, but the, the punchline is that that's not the end. And we see hope just weaved throughout Psalm 22, and which is the point where even when it looks like injustice and evil is winning, it won't. And it can't. And that's really the message of Psalm 22. And it's the message of Jesus praying Psalm 22 from the cross. I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that with, you know, injustice. And as Buzz Lightyear says, evil never winning. <laughs> <laughs> Good. We got, we got uh, Toy Story in here. That's yeah. exactly where we needed to go. No, I, I love it. I love those connections. Um, you're right. And it, and it, 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 it brings up reality, you know, like the, the scriptures, never leave us in this sort of utopia now. It speaks about the perfection that is still yet to come. It speaks about the perfection of Jesus, but it, it, it never lets us get away from reality or to treat the world like idealism. It's very real because um, this is our prayer too. Lord, be not far from me. There's trouble near everywhere. Um, and it feels like often there's no one to help. And I think we can all relate with that at times. When you're a child, there's times you wonder, is anyone actually listening to me? When you get older, is anyone there actually helping me where I'm trying to figure this whole thing out? Even when you're married and when you have your own children and you're caring for your own parents and everybody, there's we can relate with this prayer. And then once again, we look to Christ who's alone on the cross. And if anybody can say, I've never felt more alone, it's at that point that we're able to understand that, yep, our God gets it. And it just shows that, well, theologian of the cross language, right, by Martin Luther, and also our understanding of the sufferings of Christ and the love that he has for us in order to go through that for us. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it keeps going back to that in the psalm, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, well said. Okay, anything else Anything else here? Move on? Um, yeah, maybe just one one thing quick. I keep thinking of this with, with some of the good points you're bringing up here is, it, it's always interesting that uh, study after study seems to show that one of the main reasons people 
kind of walk away from the faith, or at least the way that they self-report walking away from the faith is they have a, they struggle with how can there be a good God and how can there be, you know, pain and misery in the world. And we certainly don't have time to unpack that whole thing, but what Psalm 22 shows and what the cross shows is whatever the answer is, it's certainly not that God is distant from pain. It's, it's certainly not that God doesn't understand pain. The message of Psalm 22 and the cross is God understands pain and misery far more than even we would. You know, whatever furnace we walk through, Christ has been into the ultimate furnace for us so that our furnaces won't be all consuming. And, you know, that's, I think driving that point home into our own minds helps fortify us for when we are going to face pain and suffering and, and it will bite, but it won't destroy. 14 through 16, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. 14 through 16 brings us back to that um, I part of this. And what does it tell us? What is David... <laughs> What is David going through and what is Jesus going through? It's it's very great imagery for us to 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 see in this in this text. Hmm. Yeah, so once again my mind my mind goes back to Jesus first and maybe maybe I can throw it back to you. There's some, you know, wonderful uh, you know, kind of powerful descriptions here. I don't know if you have any thoughts on those, but you know, the one thing that stands out to me here is what bones out of joint. Um, you know, that's interesting. Pierced my hands and feet there in verse 16. Um you know, what, what do we see with Jesus on the cross? Well, bones are not broken. You know, here we have bones out of joint. That's, you know, that would be a description of something that would happen when the bones are not broken. Um, pierced my hands and feet, you know, Jesus hands and feet, of course, were pierced. Uh, tongue sticks to my jaws, to the roof of my mouth. You hear Jesus at the very end say, I thirst, you know, with this. So you just, you see so many connections, like, you know, just, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, um, you know, that, that brings us back to Jesus. I don't know if you have any any thoughts on some of this vocabulary. It's really rich. Well, you think about the I poured, I'm poured out like water. And I've kind of struggled with what that exactly means because my first thought on that is just like poured out, meaning it is just all out. Like, you know, it's it's just everything is out of me. I have no I'm totally weak. I have nothing to bring to the table. I am just completely unable to do anything at all. And that's the language I thought with that. But I, you know, even I almost got more confused the more I, <laughs> the more I read about it. Any thoughts on that portion? Because I thought I saw it to be the ultimate form of weakness is my, the language I thought. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think I have any profound thoughts. I like that though. It's, it, you know, poured out like water. Yeah, I've got nothing left. You know, that, that, that's what brings that, that's what that phrase brings to mind. Right. And then, like you said, it just keeps going back. Actually, I didn't even read verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Obviously, you see Jesus in the piercing of hands and feet. But the dogs encompassing him, um, I'm pretty sure that's not a bunch of little puppy dogs that we that we envision as just great, fluffy puppy, uh, puppy, uh, puppies just surrounding me. I think he's speaking about something different. What do you think? Dogs encompass me. What do you think of that? My first nightmare that I remember is me in the some backyard, dark backyard, and there were there was a, a an angry dog chasing me, and it just I mean it, I still remember it today. I was probably three or four, I don't know, but you know it still haunts me. That's um, yeah. I mean I love dogs. It's not like it's ruined my relationship with dogs, but yeah, I can understand how that would be terrifying. It sounds like some kind of Stephen King book. 
doesn't it? I mean, it's just, it's yeah. totally <laughs> as we read that, but anyways, it, 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 it captures the reality of what Jesus was going through. It captures the worst of the worst that we can imagine. And once again, like you said, it just keeps bringing us back to Jesus. Now let's, let's move on here to uh, verses 17 um, to 17, 18, just real quick, as far as the, the fulfillment of the prophecies, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Hmm. Here is very clear fulfillment of what actually happened on the cross. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we've got verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and Matthew 27, 35, and you know, when they had crucified him, they, meaning the the Pilate's guards, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. You know, once again, we've got my bones are on display. Um, you know, once again, bones aren't broken. That, that That's a Matthew. I think it's Matthew. You know, one of the gospel writers, you know, goes to a lot of effort to make sure to say, hey, none of Jesus' bones were broken. It's, mm-hmm. it's just amazing, the connections. I believe that's Luke 23. I might be wrong, though. I'm just doing a quick reference on that. Uh-huh. I believe that's 20, Luke 23 that makes that reference. They divide the garments, which also I read this too. That just reminds us that he probably didn't have much clothing on, if any clothing at all. So the humiliation of Jesus is very clearly here. And basically all he has is a bunch of, well, not nobody's um, fighting over his clothing. And that's all he's got when he's, mm-hmm. when he's on that cross. Let's keep going, Pastor. We have about 10 minutes left, quite a bit to go through, but just a reminder to our listeners, we might not actually get through all the verses, but we're going to do the best that we can. We are in verse 19, and I'll go through 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Well, now, now he says a prayer that I think we often will pray, pray, excuse me, is Lord, be with me, you know, do not be far off from me. And then he goes into explanation, kind of like he's with all these animals at the time, maybe in a cave, which would make sense as far as how David is speaking. Your thoughts, 19 through 21. Yeah, this reminds me of Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, where it's that time we've, we've we, you know, we've come before our Lord, you know, for thinking of kind of, you know, the divine service and the flow, you know, we've said the name, the baptismal name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've confessed our sins. We've received absolution. And, you know, one of the next things that we do is we say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. We're saying, do not be far from me. We're saying, look, you know, we still live in this life. We are defined by the resurrection. We're defined by what you've accomplished on the cross. And, you know, we're celebrating that victory today on whether it's Easter or just a regular Sunday, but still we live in a broken world and we're asking, Lord, do not be far from me. And also do not be far from those that we have on our mind. Like you said, it's, um, that is the prayer, right? That is the cry that we, we continually cry out to our God. Do not be far from me. The other day I visited one of my beloved members. Actually, he was the, uh, head of the call committee when I was called to this congregation 12 years ago and he's in the hospital and, and, and part of the litany that we followed in while he was, while we're praying with him is I said, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And, and this beloved member is he said, and God does. Hmm. You just, Oh, it's kind of emotional actually as I, as I say that just because 
that is what's happening here is the Lord do not be far off. And, and we say in confidence and he's here, he's near. And, and we know that he's not far off. Uh, we even were surrounded by lions and oxen and all sorts of animals and swords that we don't want to be around. We know that the Lord is there and he delivers his people. Anything else, Pastor, before we move on? Yeah, I'd like to hear hear your thought as, as you say that. It makes me think, okay, so if we're looking at it in this moment, right, right, I'm right back to Jesus on the cross. But if we're looking at it in that moment, you're thinking, okay, well, God is definitely far from him. You know, Jesus' strength is, is dried up, right? He's poured out like water. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly no one's coming quickly to him. But now we look at it with our eyes looking kind of, you know, from the future, looking back to it. And now we just, we understand how things have played out to the glory of the father and, you know, for the good of, of all of us, for the good of the world. And it seems like that's just the way things kind of play out in our life is when we're going through struggles, we say, how could this possibly work out for good? But then you look back and as you look back, things start to make more sense. Has that been something you've, you've kind of realized in life? Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's, that goes back to that understanding of the theologian of the cross is that the pain we go through is not something that we we say well that was for the best that's that's an americanized version of oh you know when someone goes through a divorce well it's for the best or you know i had I, I, I something happened i had cancer oh it's for the best we don't we don't speak that way as christians that these sufferings we know that god works for the good of his people and we're able to look back and realize how God does work through that. And can you imagine being at that cross? And if we were to be at that cross with the Marys and John and say, well, this is probably for the best. Hmm. I mean, (laughs) that's crazy. There's no way you would say it that way, you know, Um, but we do see God at work in that suffering because this is a world that we indeed do suffer. So I don't don't know if that makes sense, if that answers your question, but that's definitely the filter that I've, um, uh, I'm realizing more and more, like you said, 20 years from now, I'll probably understand it much better than I do right now. Yeah, thanks. That, that's very helpful. Yeah. So let's keep moving forward here. Uh, verses 22, uh, 22, I'm going to go through 26. It would go that far. I will tell you of your, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Pastor, relatively quickly, it makes a huge transition here. To praising. I mean, just think Jesus on the cross, if he were to say all of this, they're like, is he is he praising the Lord while he's on the cross? How would we reconcile that? And and what is David doing with these words? Yeah, so it seems, you know, that this maybe might be one more, you know, point, I guess, for hey, maybe Jesus did pray this entire psalm from the cross. And that because it seems like this could prompt some of the things that the Pharisees or the high priests say, like when they say, well, you know, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now. Um, you know, some of their taunts seem to show that Jesus seems to have some kind of trust or, or some idea of, of a future hope or a future victory. And if Jesus gets to this point on the cross, then he certainly, he certainly 
as you said, preaching that from the cross for all to hear. Um, so there is this hope that's tied up in Psalm 22. It, in many ways, I'm, I'm very overwhelmed with this psalm is because of, I would say recently, you know, I've, I've, it was almost two years before I could actually visit someone in the hospital without like 20 million details trying to figure out. And to visit the people you do, it's amazing to me how in pain that there are those little glimmers of people praising the Lord, like I mentioned with, with my member, and, you know, and Lord have mercy, and he does. And there's these other times, these small little words, you know, where they're like, I know I'm just going to trust in the Lord right now, they'll say, um, that God will be, God is with me, they'll say to me. And, and I'm sure you've had this too, Pastor, and I'm sure all of our listeners have had this in their life too, is you're like, okay, I guess they're preaching to me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that's kind of what's happening on the cross here with David, is that he's going through the worst of pains, and Jesus is as well. And then they give then they give the sermon and they give us, okay, we actually, even in the midst of this, we can praise the Lord. Maybe not with joy that we think of our happiness, but we definitely do because we know that the Lord brings deliverance and he'll do it now and he'll do it in the future as he's done it in the past. Your thoughts? Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's such a recipe for, be, you know, standing unmoved because you know, whenever there's funeral, you go, like you said, when you go to someone who's going through real suffering, cancer, you know, whatever it is, you know, we as Christians, we're not disconnected from reality, as you said, like, right, we don't come in and say, oh, well, this is, this is good, right? You know, like we can't, you can't sugarcoat that when real pain and misery comes because it's real pain and misery, you know, the, the sting of death is there, but intermixed with it, there's this hope that triumphs. And it's just amazing to see the resiliency that people find out they have when they face these challenges. And it points back to, you know, you, Lord, are not far from me. You know, you've you've called me your brother. Like all these wonderful uh, pictures of hope and redemption and comfort um, that are weaved here throughout Psalm 22 are what people who are going through suffering, they start to realize and they realize the strength that it gives them, right? Lord, you are my strength. You have become my salvation. And um, it certainly seems to see that when people are nearing death or going through real struggles, they find out what that means. And there's a certain gift attached to that. I don't know what you, if, if that aligns with your experiences. All, all I can say to that is I'm, amen and amen. Let's end our time, verses 27 to 31, and just get a few last thoughts. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It should be told to the Lord, to the coming generation, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Pastor, I would say we have about a minute and a half left. What are your closing thoughts with these words and our whole psalm? Yeah, so if you picture, just as you read that, it strikes me, whatever David's going through, who knows? But he's feeling weak. He's feeling feeling poured out, right? All his water's gone. His heart's melting like wax. And it turns out that he is writing something that would actually be, you know, very likely recited by Jesus on the cross and that is 
becomes one of the cornerstones for what is declared to a people yet unborn, what reaches you and I in 2022 and helps solidify and strengthen us to a point where we are unmoved in our faith. And it's just amazing what God is able to accomplish when David's at his absolute weakness. And of course, when Christ is at his absolute weakness, that's when light conquers darkness. And all of that is then, all of that was done so that it may be delivered for us. So we say, you know, Alleluia, thank you, God. And then also what a beautiful blessing that we have. What a firm foundation we have as we then carry on our life as Christians who have been redeemed and who have been promised that we will be like Christ. We also will rise from the dead. Pastor Brian Stecker of Trinity Lutheran Church and School in Waconia, Minnesota, given us God's strong word from Psalm 22. Pastor Stecker, happy Easter, and thank you again for bringing us his gifts. Yeah, happy Easter. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.